All right, amen. Thank you for that. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. Man, that should be easy. Go to page 2. All right, page 2, Genesis chapter 2. Uh, we have, I had a dear friend I worked with in, in Georgia. He was a, a worship pastor. His son actually plays baseball for a college in North Georgia. They happened to be in the Austin area this weekend. So, uh, so we drove up, we actually drove up to Belton last night to, to watch Michael play and, and had an enjoyable experience. But, but on the way up, we, uh, you know how 35 is when you get almost to Belton. Well, we get up there and we're just tooling, you know, you kind of zigzag in and out. And Siri begins to tell us to get back on the interstate. And I thought, we're on it. I mean, and she kept on and on. Well, in a half a mile, you need to turn left. And then I'm thinking, man, there ain't nowhere to turn left. And, and so she kept on for a half a mile, you know. And I got to thinking about, you, you know how easy, when you're in a relationship, and I'm just saying me and Siri's got this relationship. Well, when you're in a relationship, you know, it's easy for one person to think everything's good and the other person to think, man, we're a little bit off here. Sometimes that happens in marriage. One of you thinks, man, it's, it's all good. And the other partner says, you need to turn left here. You, you need to turn back to the left. You're off track, right? Well, well, last week we started a series of messages called Out of Rhythm. And we're talking about how sometimes the most important relationships in our life can get out of rhythm. They can get a little bit off track. And we, we talked about how in, in the physical world, uh, the da- one of the dangers to our heart is arrhythmia. You can get out of rhythm and that can lead to some serious issues. Well, in the, in the spiritual realm, our heart can, can get out of rhythm. It can have arrhythmia and that can lead to some dangers. And last week we talked about how the relationship, our relationship to the Lord Jesus uh, and our relationship to God uh, can kind of get off track. And, and if you remember, Joshua told the two and a half tribes that were about to go back and take possession of the land. They were about to go home and they were about to enjoy everything God had for them. He says, you need to be very careful. You, you need to observe. You need to take care that you obey the Lord that you honor the Lord and that you serve the Lord. And, and so that, that premise is that, that we need to guard our relationship with the Father. We need to guard our relationship with Jesus. But when we think about relationships and when we think about, you know, the ones that are key, well, the next most important relationship, uh, after our relationship to our Heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, then the next one on the list is your relationship to your spouse. Okay, if you're married, I'm talking to us who are married, and I'm talking to us who may one day be married. You might say, well, I'm just 15 or I'm just 20. I I don't know if that's going to happen. Well, if it does happen, the most important relationship on this side uh, of eternity and on this side of heaven is our relationship to our spouse. And we we need to be careful that we keep that relationship in Rhythm and, uh, and, and because it's such an important relationship, it, it offers some great blessings, but it also offers some great, uh, challenges. And someone has said, uh, astutely noted that in the New Testament, a lot of the texts that deal with marriage, uh, texts like Colossians chapter three, Ephesians chapter five, uh, first Peter, uh, chapter three, they deal with with the how-to in marriage and the what-to in marriage, but they don't often deal with the why. 
And uh, so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go back into Genesis. You know, Genesis is the book of beginnings. And it tells us uh, about the beginning of creation. It tells us about the beginning of the universe. It tells us about the beginning of humanity. It tells us about the beginning of the covenant relationship of God and His people. It tells us about the beginning of sin, but it also tells us about the beginning of marriage and how it kind of started. And so we're going to kind of look at what God, uh, a little bit about what God designed uh, marriage to be. And so we're going to look at the first marriage in order to do that. Now, the first marriage happened in Genesis 2, as I've mentioned. Man, there's some really interesting things about it. You know, there's never been a marriage and there never will be a marriage quite like the first one. Uh, I mean, on a serious note, the first marriage ceremony, God is the one who gave the bride away. He's the one who, who brought her to the man, as we'll look at in just a moment. But, uh, but on, on, on maybe a less spiritual note, just think about at the first wedding. There, there were no in-laws to deal with. Okay, when, when they had the rehearsal dinner, they didn't have to do everything like the mother of the bride or the mother of the groom. There wasn't any of that. Okay, so, I mean, so it was, it was pretty unique. I mean, think about this. Um, Eve could never run home to mama if things got bad at home. Okay, she never could. She, she could never say to Adam, hey, you weren't the only guy I could have married. Okay, he was the only one. But Adam couldn't say to her, hey, you don't cook like my mama. Right? So, I mean, it, it was, I mean, there were some interesting things about that. I mean, they didn't have anywhere to go. But as we're going to see in a little while, they didn't need anywhere uh, to go uh, back then in the beginning. But speaking of uh, cooking, I heard about one husband. He complained to his wife, and, and he said, he said, Honey, why can't you cook biscuits like Mama? And she says, Well, why don't you bring home the dough like my daddy? You know? And uh, so, I mean, they, they, you know, that, kind of, that kind of stuff happens. Well, it couldn't happen then. It, it, it couldn't happen. Now, one other little thing that I thought was interesting. One woman was talking about her husband and, and somebody said, well, where'd you meet him? And she said, well, I'm, I met him at the travel agency. He was the last resort. And, and so I got him and, and I have him. And, uh, well, what I want to say is a lot of people think about marriage like that. Well, that's just kind of the last resort. Well, in scripture, marriage was not the last resort. It was the first institution. That God blessed. And what's amazing about the marriage, and I'd never thought about this. I was listening to a guy, uh, on, on my journey last night up to the ball game, I was listening to a guy preach on this subject, and he made an interesting observation. He said, you know, there's three institutions. There's a, there's the marriage and family, there's government, and, and there's the church. And he said, he said, you know, the, uh, in Genesis 9, uh, God forbade man to kill one another, and then if, if you kill someone, you're accountable to man. So that kind of established the idea of government. And, and in order to need government, you need sin. And then later, God established the church, and in order to need a church, you needed sin because you needed to have a redeemer. But when it came to marriage and family, uh, you just needed two people. And marriage was, it wasn't designed to deal with sin. Marriage was designed to deal with completing the relationship between a husband and a wife. And so it's a really neat, there's some really neat things that I want us to look at. Genesis chapter 2, look down in your Bibles there. We're going to begin reading. In verse 18, um, it says, Then the Lord God said, 
It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. I guess the reason a hippopotamus is a hippopotamus is because of that. Or maybe that's why giraffes are giraffe and aardvarks are aardvark. But he brought them to him. He named them. But, but let's go on. It says, The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit or suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not. Ashamed. Shall we pray together? Father, as we look at this very first marriage relationship, uh, Lord, I pray that we would see the elements. I would, I pray that we would see the why behind the marriage. And God, that we would understand because of what you've made us to be, that, that there's some things we need to do to, to stay in rhythm to keep the marriage relationship the way that you want it to be. So I would just invite you, God, to come and speak into our hearts and God, I know not everyone here has a spouse. Some some have had a spouse and they've gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, some haven't yet had one, uh, but they look forward to one. And so I just pray that you would just give us clarity and encourage our hearts this morning. And we'll give you the honor and glory for it all. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, well let me just say kind of Genesis 1 is the account of creation. It's kind of the whole account of creation. And then God comes back in Genesis 2 and he gets kind of specific about the creation of man. And a lot of people point to Genesis 1 and 2 and say, well, you know, there's not a, there, it's not consistent. You know, God did this here. No, no. Genesis 2 is just kind of the, the God's description of, of here's how and why he created man, put him in the garden, and he talks about that relationship. And what we've just read about is really the focal point of that relationship. And if you read chapter 1, what you'll notice is every time God made a creation, he talked about how good it was. Man, this was good. This was good. This was good. And then when he, when he finally got Adam and Eve both made, he said, man, this is very good. But chapter two kind of falls in the middle of that six day creation where, where God had created, he had, he had taken the dust from the ground and he had formed and fashioned it into a man and he made Adam. But it says there that, uh, that it was not good. For the man to be alone. So it's the first time in scripture that something was not good. Now there wasn't anything wrong with Adam, man. He was a perfect creation. He was made, I mean, he was fashioned, formed, shaped by the hand of God. He was absolute, I mean, he was, he was a, he was the perfect guy. He was the perfect man. Everything about him was perfect, but he was not complete. And because he wasn't, God said, well, that, that's not good. It's not good that he's not complete. Now, what God wanted, what's interesting, if you look down at verse 18, that that I I think is really interesting there, is is that God God recognized and God knew that that Adam was alone and that he was lonely and, and God wanted to deal or eliminate, if you will, the aloneness. 
But it seems like from the text, Adam really didn't know he was alone. I mean, he had, God just made him. And so God, so in what God want, God wanted him to experience relationship and, and some different things that we're going to talk about, partnership and companionship. We're going to talk about all those. But, but Adam, I'm not sure Adam really knew. And so God brings all the animals to him and, and says, now Adam, I want you to name them. And so, so he parades by at least the beast of the field, uh, in the birds of the air and the, and the livestock, the domesticated animals. He brings them all by and Adam gives them a name. But it says there that Adam discovered that there was not a helper suitable for him. And so there's, there's some interest, and I don't want to get off track here, but, but I do want to make one observation. Uh, John MacArthur pointed this out, and, and it's so true. Uh, this particular passage really strikes a blow to evolution, because evolution says that, that, that man just kind of evolved. But when, when, all the, when all the animals came by Adam, he didn't see one that was suitable for him. Now, if he had come from an ape, surely he would have saw that female ape and thought, well, you know, she ain't real good, but she ain't too bad. I mean, she, you know, I'm by myself, she will do. No, no, he didn't say there was no, there, there was no connection. There was no one fit for him. And God pointed out and showed to Adam, Adam, you're, you're alone. Now you say, why is that so significant? See, here's the thing. God from eternity understood companionship because God, perfect completion in, 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 its, in His Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, perfect unity, perfect relationship, perfect companionship. God had all that. God made man in His image and God wanted for man... That's you and me, what he has. And that is this idea of relationship and partnership and companionship. And so when we look at this, uh, there, are, there are three parts to the relationship. And I would just say, first of all, when, when God said it was not good for man to be alone and Adam was alone, uh, you know, Adam was out. I mean, he was without any, anybody of his kind. I mean, there were lions and lambs. There were tigers and tarantulas. There were buffalo and there were birds. But there just wasn't any people. And so he recognized, man, I'm, I'm by myself here. And, and, and the reason that's significant is because God has created us for what we would call companionship. Uh, the Bible speaks to the companionship and the marriage relationship in at least two other places. In Proverbs 2.17, it references that. But also in Malachi 2.14, when it talks about uh, the... In, in fact, both of those passages, they don't just talk about companionship, but they talk about the covenant relationship. Of a husband and wife. And today we're not going to deal with the idea, too much with the idea of the covenant relationship. But uh, we, we will talk a little bit about it when we get to the permanence of marriage in just a moment. But, but I just want you to understand that, that God created us for companionship. I mean, think about, think about this. When you, when you first got acquainted with your honey love. I mean, before the, probably before the first kiss and, and, and probably before the first date, there was this this conversing, this talking, this wanting to hang together. You just wanted to spend time with her. You just wanted to spend time with him. And you could talk for hours. And, and sometimes you did. I mean, uh, at least in my generation, you could talk on the phone for like hours. Now, some of you say, well, Pastor, you know, when I first started dating, you know, the phone was, you know, that was back in the day when there were party lines. And if you got, to, you know, you got to, somebody might be listening. 
You know, we didn't do that. But, but in my day, man, you could, but you, I mean, you could talk on the phone for, for a while. I mean, I knew a guy, I was in Kansas City when you're at the National FFA Convention. A friend of mine, a guy I knew from South Florida, called his girlfriend up, fell asleep on the phone. Both of them fell asleep with the phone laying there. Man, he got a bill the next day. You know, uh, can you imagine, you know, from Kansas City, Missouri to Okeechobee, Florida, 1979. Okay, that was, he cost him something, right? Uh, thank God, hey, you don't have to worry about the day. We got unlimited minutes, right? If you got to sell us unlimited. So, so we're, but, but think about it. See, see, when we first started, it, it wasn't, it, it was about companionship. Man, we talked together and we shared together and we laughed together and we dreamed together and we, we talked about all these different things because, I mean, there's just something about, I mean, there's just a companionship. That happened, you know, back at the start. And, and that's what, when God saw Adam alone, he said, man, he needs somebody to talk to. Somebody to dream with and to joke with and to laugh with and to share with. And eventually, when sin entered the world, to cry with and to encourage him when he was down. And, and so, and so when God Invest in the marriage, marriage relationship is because, is because he knew that men, we need, in, we need intimacy. People need intimacy and they need, they need this idea of uh, companionship. And so every person needs that intimacy and every, every marriage is designed to meet that need. And I would just say to you and I would just challenge and encourage you that you need to cultivate that companionship in your marriage because here's what happens when you're dating man you remember when when you first started that conversation and you first started going out everybody girl and boy they put their best foot forward and you put your best part in the relationship and you listen to their conversations guys you listen to everything she said and, and, and girls, you laughed at his jokes. I mean, cause, cause listen, he's trying to win a bride and, and you're trying to captivate a, a husband. And so we got the best foot out there and man, it is all, man, you just, it's all good. And then you get married and you go on the honeymoon and it's all good. And then you come home in a few weeks or a few months. If you're lucky, a few years into this thing, you go, oh no. He, he brought, he's got both feet in this thing. It, you saw the good foot, but you didn't necessarily see the bad. Well, when you get married, you get both feet, right? You, you get morning breath and you get dirty socks and you get underwear on the floor and you get, you know, you get all these shoes in your closet and there. I mean, you get all the stuff. And, and so, and so we need to be careful. To keep the rhythm in the companionship. That's why, you know, a lot of people talk about how you need to, you need to date your spouse. You need to spend time with your spouse. You need to do things with your spouse. Why? Because we need intimacy and companionship. And here's the danger. Here's the danger. If, if you don't give it to each other, you'll wind up looking for it somewhere else. So be careful. So guard your communication. If you're going to have good companionship, you got to have good co- communication. So you need to guard that. Uh, Ephesians 4 talks about that. We won't go there, but it talks about being honest and it talks about dealing with your anger, not let the sun go down on your anger. And, and, and so listen, you, you need, you need to in, encourage one another. We need to love one another. We need to be honest with one another, but we need to deal with the issues we have with one another. 
you're going to have good companionship, you're going to have good communication. You've got to talk. Now, some of you guys will say, well, you know, she likes to talk. I don't like to talk. It's not my thing. When we said I do, we gave up the right to say, well, that's not my thing. We gave that right up because the Bible says the two become one. Individualism left when you went out the aisle from the front of the church or wherever you got married. The two became one. And now you got, you know, we got to be the companion. We got to do the give and take. And, and so, so there's the idea of companionship. We got to move on. Let's think secondly about, but not only was there companionship. Look down in your Bible again in verse 18. He says, um, the Lord says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. I want you to think about partnership. Uh, every marriage relationship is a, is in a sense, it is a partnership. And the husband brings a part and the wife brings a part. And God looked at Adam and God looked at Eve and he said, I'm going to make somebody that is the perfect partner, the perfect Help me, if you will, someone that is suitable for the man. And there's, just, I mean, there were just some things that man couldn't do by himself. God had given him the assignment. He says, listen, I'm going to put you in the garden. You're going to subdue the earth. You're going to manage this thing. Well, God knew he couldn't do that on his own. So God gave him a helper, a help me, someone that was suitably fit for him. And when God puts two people together, usually, usually he puts people that have some similarities but also he puts people together that have some differences. Any of you have differences with your spouse? Anybody? Okay, yeah. Uh, see, if, if, if two people are exactly the, exactly the same, then one of them's not necessary anyway, right? So, so you're different. There's some things different about you. And, and so, the, and God does that because when the two become one, you take, you take this and this and put them together and it's just better. And so God made a help me. A partner, if you will, that is, that is suitable for him. And, and listen, if you're going to keep that partnership in rhythm, then what needs to happen is the roles need to, you know, the husband needs to fulfill his role and, and the wife needs uh, to fulfill her roles. And, 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 uh, that, that's kind of a danger. Uh, in fact, the next chapter, if you got your Bible open to Genesis 2, look over to chapter 3, verse 16. Right after the fall, here's what God said to the woman. He says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. But I want you to listen to this statement. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, and I've said this before, when, when God said to the woman, your desire shall be for your husband, he wasn't saying you're going to look at your man and go, man, he's a hunk of hunk of burning love. I, I got to have him. What that word there, this desire for your husband, if, if we look over to chapter four, after God says to Cain, why, why are you so downcast? And he talks about how the, the sin and anger and, and in, it wants to master him. And so what the, the word there is to control and what God was saying, Eve, because of your sin, your desire is going to be to control your husband. But your husband's going to rule over you. And so there's these two distinct parts. And so what I'm saying is in the partnership, if, 
if the husband abdicates his role or if the wife usurps her authority in the relationship, then it gets out of kilter or, as our term would say, out of rhythm. And so if you're going to guard your marriage, you got to not only guard your companionship, but you got to guard your partnership so that one doesn't abdicate their responsibility and the other doesn't usurp their authority. And so we got to deal with the partnership. And then thirdly, and this is where I really want to talk for a few minutes, is, is this idea of relationship. Look there in verse, uh, back in chapter 2, verse 19. It says, Now out of the ground the Lord formed every beast, and, and he brought him to the man. And, and, and then verse 22, The man gave names to all the livestock uh, and to every beast. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. In other words, there was, there was no one there he could really relate to. There was no one there he could have a conversation with. There was no one there that he could really partner and, and experience companionship with in the truest sense of the word. Because again, he was created in God's image. And being created in God's image means that we have the ability to have a relationship, a significant relationship. Uh, and, and so that is really the, the context and the idea uh, there. And, and so uh, interesting, and we don't really have time. Just jot down in your margin, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 7 through uh, verse 11. You read that, the, the premise there, I'll kind of give you the summation because we need to move on here. But the summation is that, that Paul says, okay, God is the head of man, man is the head of of the woman and, and God is the head of Christ. Or Christ is the head of man, man's the head of woman, and Christ is, 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 uh, the head of, uh, of man. And the idea is, and he talks about this, this, the, the kind of this, these roles in marriage, and he talks about how man, uh, should not cover his head because he's the glory of God. And then he talks about how the woman should cover her head because she is the glory of man. It's really interesting that, that God created man from the dust. He's the glory of God. But God created woman out of the side of man because he is the glory of man. It goes on to say in verse, I think in verse 11, that nevertheless, uh, in the Lord, the woman is not independent of man, nor is the man independent of woman. And so the idea there is that in God's perfect creation, we need one another. We're created for one another. And that's, that, there's a lot of things we could go into there. I won't go into that, but I, I want us to think about this relate, this idea of relationship because you need to guard it. Now let me give you four characteristics of the relationship, this first relationship. Uh, first of all, notice what happened there, uh, about verse 21. It says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And, and I would say, first of all, we'll call this a poetic relationship. Now, if you're a man, you might be going, I'm not very poetic, but just stay with me, okay? Just trust me on this one for just a minute. Because I want you to, I want you to look at verse 22. Uh, the word made, if you have the ESV, the word made has a footnote. Mine has a number five. If you look down the footnote, it says the word made, it, 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 it puts in the word built. That word is used about 300 times in the Old Testament, that Hebrew word, to build. 
And, and so what God did is he put Adam to sleep and he took, uh, took, and we use the term rib. I think that word's used, I think John MacArthur said it's used 34 times. It's the only time it's translated rib. Normally it's side. So, so bone to bone, flesh to flesh, God took more than the rib. I don't know what he took, but he took more. He, you know, he took the side. But, but I want you to think about this. Just imagine with him. God took out of man and God built this woman, this creature, this creation. She, she didn't have a name yet. But he took her out of the side of man and, and, and he, he fashioned, he formed, he built her. So you could, you could say she was well built, right? I mean, she was perfectly built. And so God, God creates her. Now, interestingly enough, God puts Adam to sleep, takes her out of the side, forms her, shapes her, builds this woman. He didn't just, he didn't just wake Adam up and, and say, Adam, look beside you. Notice what the text says. Adam went to sleep alone. He wakes up and here comes the God of the universe walking in the garden with this creation, this well-built, perfect, flawless creation. And then here's what happened in Scripture. The first Recorded words of man are verse 23. The first love song. The first poem written about a woman. And there's been millions since then. But the very first one was Adam. Look what he says in, uh, in, in verse 23. He says, this is at last bone of my bones. Now, now Hebrew scholars will tell you that we don't really get the sense of that. Um, the idea, according to the Hebrew scholars, is... Wow. In other words, what, what Adam was saying, now that's what, that's what I'm talking about. That's, and, and he didn't know what to call her. And so if you, you got another footnote there. The Hebrew word for man is ish. The Hebrew word for woman is isha or isha. And they look like they were, they're related. They're really not that closely related. But you know what the, you know what the word isha translated woman means? In the Hebrew, it means soft. And, and, and so Adam looks at this creation that he's never seen. I mean, he's seen all the animals and he, he saw that thing. He never seen any of that. And he looks at this gal and he goes, soft. And he did, I mean, he's like, hey man, man, this is bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh, man. Woo! Wow. All right. And so God brings her to him. And so, so there, there, there's, there's poetry in the relationship. And, and, and guys, listen, when you saw her and when you dated her, you thought, wow, she's it. I mean, I can remember I was a youth pastor. I was, I met and started dating my wife. I can remember I would, she would, she was a math teacher at the junior high school. I'd go watch my kids play ball and she would take up money out in, you know, out in front of the gym. And, and I can, rem, I could I can just picture right now. She would have her legs crossed and, and I could just see her just shaking her leg. And I'd just look out there and go, wow. <laughs> Wonder if she'd go out with me. We all had that. Do you know how we get out of rhythm? Do you know how marriage gets gets out of rhythm? We we forget the wow. We forget about the wow. 
And we stop treating our honey love the way God wants to treat. So there's poetry in a relationship. But I would say secondly, the, 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 it should be also not, on, not just a poetic relationship, but the scripture tells us here that it's to be the primary relationship. Look down at verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. The marriage relationship, mark this down, the marriage relationship should be the primary relationship in your life. When you get married, you're to leave mom and dad. I don't mean you disown them. I don't mean you don't, you know, but, but the primary relationship becomes husband and wife. Did you know the husband and wife relationship is the one relationship uh, that you get to choose? You, you, don't, you didn't get to choose where you were born, who you were born, what family you were born into. You didn't get to choose your mom, your dad, your cousins, your siblings. You, we didn't get to choose any of that. But, but we get to choose our, our mate. And the scripture says when we choose them, we're, we're to move away from the family being the primary relationship and the spouse becomes the primary relationship. The two, that's what the scripture says, the two become one. Two become one. Now God, God will say to the kids, leave, you, you leave family and go be with your spouse. But God never tells the spouses or the husband and wife, He never says leave. You should never leave one another, ever. It's supposed to be the primary relationship. And so let me just let me say this to parents: You got kids. I mean, I don't care if they're little or if they're grown up. Train them up, bring them up, teach them up, grow them up, marry them off, let them go. You got to let them go. I mean, one one of the great issues in marriage. Is because the husband or the wife hadn't got away from mom and dad. And I don't necessarily mean physically, but I'm talking about emotionally. And when something goes wrong, we go running home to mom or we go running home to daddy. And we want to talk about our spouse. And he did this or she did that. Or he's not and she's not. You know, all this junk. Now the scripture says leave and cleave under your wife or your husband. And so it's the primary relationship. Let me say thirdly, not only is it, is it the poetic relationship and the primary relationship, but I would say it's also to be a permanent relationship. And you notice the end of that verse 24, uh, he shall leave his father and mother and he shall hold fast to his wife and they shall become one. Permanent relationship. Jesus said this, Matthew, man, we don't even have time to go there. Let me, let me just say it this way. Uh, Jesus pointed back to Genesis 2. See, they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, um, Moses said we could get a divorce. Can we divorce somebody for any reason? And, and Jesus said, no, no. When you leave your father and mother, you just cleave unto your wife. And, and they said, well, but why did Moses give us a certificate for divorce? And here's what Jesus said. Because of the hardness of your heart. But it was not so from the beginning. And so here's what we need to understand. God's ideal, perfect relationship is one man, one woman, together forever. Now, sin has messed that up. And so, you know, people have, and some of you, you have have agonized through a divorce or you've agonized through uh, immorality. Uh, people have, you know, we're in a, we're in a 
homosexually crazed culture today. But none of those alter God's idea. Now, there's grace. Man, there is grace. Man, we're to, we're to reach out. God is a God of grace. But the ideal never changes. And so the relationship is to be permanent. Now, in the, we got to move on here, but let me just say, regardless of where you land there, there's grace. If you've been through a divorce, there's grace. If you've been involved sexually outside of marriage, there's grace. If, if you've been involved in, in homosexuality, there is grace. God wants to bring us back to purity because the last principle there is is the idea, the relationships to be poetics, to be primary, it's to be permanent, but it's to be pure. Look, look at verse 25. God, I mean, I mean just imagine, imagine this with me. God brought her to the man. They were naked and not ashamed. I mean, I mean, imagine. She did, God didn't bring her in a wedding dress. We probably shouldn't even imagine this, right? I mean, God just brought this beautiful, perfect being. She was naked. And why does it say naked and not ashamed? Listen, there was no evil. There was no sin. Listen, in the, in the, in the marriage relationship and in our culture, listen, the next verse, Genesis 3, 1, sin enters the world and men purity. I mean, it goes crazy. Stuff starts happening. In the book of Genesis, you have polygamy. You have adultery. You have homosexuality. You have incest. You have, I mean, you got every kind of sexual sin you can imagine happens in the book of Genesis because the evil, the evil one comes in chapter three. But in chapter two, men, in, in the marriage relationship, Man, sex is a beautiful, God-honoring, God-ordained thing. Now, it's made for marriage. Wait till marriage. But in marriage, it is a beautiful thing. It is God-designed and God-created. And that's why we'll get there in a couple months. Hebrews 13.4 says, Honor marriage and let the marriage bed be undefiled. And so let me just say quickly, and I know I'm out of time, but I just need to say this. Listen, if you're single, men, men, hold on and wait. Be pure. Don't, don't bring impurity into, into the marriage bed. Don't, 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 don't start now. Wait. If you're married, don't bring impurity into the relationship. Don't, don't bring junk like pornography. Into the relationship. We're, we're, we're in such a sex crazed culture. There's so, pornography is so everywhere. I read a statistic, a statistic this week. 79% of men and 76% of women, 18 to 30, use porn at least once a month. It's amazing. At the click of a button, there's impurity and people think, ah, oh, it's no big deal. No, no. It's a very big deal. Because God created you for your spouse. And he's created this relationship, this sexual intimacy perfectly for marriage. So keep it pure. Keep it pure. Now, if we're going to stay in rhythm, and I, man, I, I don't know where my time went to, but I, I just need to say, you know, you got to maintain your companionship. you got to maintain your relationship. It needs to be pure. It needs to be holy. But it, it just, 
It needs to be primary. You need to be committed to it. But, but man, it ought to be good. God wants it to be good. But, but here's the thing. You, you, know how to, you know how to keep everything in rhythm? I thought about it. I, I finished my sermon. I, got, I laid down to go to sleep, and I thought, you know, how, you, know how, you know how you wrap this thing up? You know what keeps me right with my spouse as a companion? You know what keeps me right with my spouse as a partner? You know what keeps me right with my spouse in terms of, uh, of, of the sexual intimacy and, and all of that? It's my relationship with Him. Because see, here's the thing. If you are right with God, you can't be wrong with your spouse. Because when you get right with God and you get on your knees before God, you got to deal with the things in your life. And so the key, listen, and, and I don't, I don't want to oversimplify this thing, but if you'll get right with Jesus, if you'll stay right with Jesus, you can get right and you can stay in rhythm with your spouse. And let me challenge you. Most important relationship you have on this earth, the most important human relationship is that with your spouse. And if you'll get right with him, you'll stay right with them. Let's pray. Father, a great subject for those of us that are married, great challenge. Here on Valentine's Day, we're going to buy some candy or we're going to go out to eat or we're going to fix a dessert or we're going to do something for our honey love and well, we should. But man, if I'll just stay right with Jesus, I'll be right with my wife. And if, if a woman will stay right with Jesus, she'll be right with her husband. And you'll teach us about how to not go to bed angry. And you'll teach us about how not usurp our place or his, his or her place of authority or responsibility. You'll teach us how to stay pure, keep our mind pure, and to keep our home pure. But God, we've got to be willing to come to Jesus. And I pray this morning, Lord, as we think about that. And God, I, I want to pray for the singles. There's some young guys and some young girls here. And God, I pray that you just put in their heart Man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work on, I'm gonna stay close to Jesus. I wanna get married pure. I wanna get married with the right understanding of what it means to be a companion and a partner. So God, I would pray for those young people here, those single people here as well. But God, I pray for the married folk that we would just, Lord, it's all about, it it really comes down to being right with Jesus. You know, I thought about this morning, Father. Your mercies are new every day. Your mercies, Jeremiah says in Lamentation, His mercies are new every morning. God, imagine what would happen in our marriage if we gave new mercy every day. That ought to be the goal. You give it to us, we give it to them, and we thrive. So God, I pray for the men and women here this morning, married and single, that you'd work in our heart, you'd draw us close to Jesus, and we'll give you the honor and the glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before I let you go, let me just say this. Uh, hey, read some, you know, go back through this text, read some of the verses that I've kind of talked about. But just think about this, man. If I'll get right with him, I can stay right with her. And let's go get right with Jesus.
Because when you're right with Jesus, you're going to be right with your spouse. Have a great Valentine's Day. Love your spouse. Love your significant other just like you would the Lord. Have a blessed day. We'll see you next Sunday. Thank you.